As we begin looking at the scripture today, one of the questions that I want to permeate our thought or to really, really catch the glimpse of what we're looking for and what we're seeking is when. What does it mean to win? What, how will we define a win for our lives? How will we define a win for the church? Because just as each of us has our own personality, we have our own desires, we have our own wants, we have envisioned a church in different ways. Uh, many of us, all of us, have a different opinion about what First Baptist should be, where we should go, what we should be involved with, and all of that comes down to what we consider a win. Now several weeks ago the staff had a staff retreat and I posed this question uh, with the, the five of us, what is a win? And as we went down the line, everybody shared, and I, of course, I, I started with one, and I went all the way around the room, and then they asked me, well, what do you consider a win? And what we found and what we discovered is that generically speaking, we're all about the same thing. But specifically, we're about different things. And one of the greatest things that we can do as an organization, and here's the thing, if there's that many differences with the five of us, five different definitions of a win... And then we bring that to the church of 300, 350 people, 400 members, whatever it might be, active participants in the life of the church. That means that we have possibly 400 different definitions of what a win is. How can you win when we define a win in different terms? And so what I want to suggest today is that when we look about what a win is, for some of us, a win is packing the pew. Because you have been a part of First Baptist Church and you've seen First Baptist Church in the past and you attribute the greatest moments in the history of the church when the pews were packed, where all the sides were filled and you've had those moments in your history. Others of you would say, no, I don't consider that a win. I think a win is when people get involved with the gospel, they live out the gospel, and it's not that the people that I mentioned formerly would be against that, but we all have a different understanding of what a win is. How many of you have been watching the Olympics? Yeah, you know, when, when someone is competing in the Olympics, they all, listen, every competitor in each event has the same goal in mind. It's to win, it's to win by a large margin, it's to get the gold, to do whatever it takes to get the gold. And so for us as a church and as individuals, first of all, we have to come to the understanding of what is a win for me personally, and then we have to buy into what is our win corporately. The Apostle Paul writing in 1 Corinthians and I think we can all agree with this, if you look in verse 19, we could come to the realization that our purpose is ultimately to win, period. Not so that we can glory in the moment, not so that we can brag about what we've done or where we've been, but to win people because when we win in that manner, we all win. Now, when it comes to as we grow numerically, as we grow spiritually... There's going to be opportunities on the horizon. It used to be, if you look at the history of the church in this country in the last 70 years, 70 years ago, 
a win for the church was to be a viable option in the community. And so whenever there was an event, people would come to the church. They would flock to the church. Many of you remember uh, in the late 70s and early 80s, the TV show Little House on the Prairie. The church was at the center of that community. School happened at the church. All the business conducted in the community was at the church. The church was at the center of life, the center of what community should be. And I would suggest to you that even in our church, if you look out on the wall as you go out the Welcome Center door, you'll see that we were a fallout shelter during the Cold War. Why? Because if there were problems, we wanted people to flock to First Baptist Church. First Baptist Church in that era was the center of community. And if you grew up in another church or went to another church in this community, your church was at the center of that community. Church planning was done by community. But today, the church universal is often peripheral to our experience. The church universal is often seen as an option. If you have something better to do, then the church gets, has been re, uh, relegated to something that is a viable option. In your day, most of your days growing up in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, church was not an option. You all had drug problems, as I've said, because you were drugged to church against your will all the time. And we can blame a variety of things. We can say, well... It's when they took prayer out of school. Well, guess what? Prayer's never been taken out of school. People still pray in the schools. You could say, well, uh, it's because the introduction of technology and the television. Well, yes, maybe the TV uh, did not help matters on Sunday evenings. But listen, when I was born in 1976 and I grew up in the 80s, the TV and the VCR were right there center in the room, and I still got drugged to church on Sunday evening, even though... The wonderful world of Disney came on at 7 p.m., the exact time that worship took. And my father, and he doesn't remember this, my father would say things like this when I would say, I really want to watch the wonderful world of Disney. He would say, God created man, he gave man a mind, and man has created a VCR. You can watch it later. Church is not an option. It is is a priority for our family and they're still that way I mean and it listen even when I go on vacation I was on vacation uh, several weeks ago I try my best in fact uh, Dean and I were having this conversation he said you don't really miss that many Sunday mornings I don't I hate to miss Sunday morning I even don't like to miss Sunday evening uh, and even Wednesday nights when I'm gone, I feel kind of, I feel like I'm missing out on something. Why? Because ingrained in my psyche is this reality that church is not an option. It must be a priority for me. It is a priority for my family. And I'm going to do whatever it takes to make sure that we're involved in the local church. Our purpose is to win, not just to win for our glory, but above all, as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, a win is to win people. What are we winning people to? We are winning people to the gospel. And I don't want to take this out of context because if you run this scripture, you'll say, oh, so it is about what we do. Without us, God could not win people to Christ. No, no, no. We are winning, we are winning people to Christ, but it's understood in this whole idea that God is working through us. We are but vessels being filled by the Holy Spirit to advance His kingdom. Our purpose is 
to win. And when we talk about a win, a win as defined by Scripture is that we are reaching people with the gospel. Which is going, listen ladies and gentlemen, it's going to compel us to do things differently for our future. And I know, you know what that implies when you do things differently? What does it imply? Six letter word. Change. Let's say that together. Change. Oh, say it confidently. Change. We have got to always be changing because when we refuse to change, we begin to die. Change is all about what life is. Changing the dynamics of what we do. Never changing on our message. Never changing on the supremacy of what God has laid out in Scripture. But always being willing to change our methodology, our programs in order that we might reach the population that we're in. Which means, uh, and I'm going to kind of give a a future vision here, that when we are expanding at such proponents as we are and at such conditions we are, we will begin massaging the idea, and it's even out there, well, we're going to need to possibly build facilities in our future. Now, I would say that we're voting on that tonight at the business conference, and I guarantee you we'd have like 200 people here. Uh, We're not voting on that tonight, but one of the things I'm going to say to you is, Before we ever, ever massage the idea of building a building, whatever purpose that building might serve, we've got to make sure at the base level that we're all in agreement about what the purpose of that building is in relation to the church, that is, those of us who know Jesus, and to those who are lost. And I would say, and I'm just going to be very blunt about it, if we build a building for our purpose, for only our in-house stuff, it will be an ultimate failure and I will never sell it. Because I believe with all my heart that the reason that people have come to Christ is because people reached out to people, people tangibly took up the cause of the gospel, and they wanted to make sure that this was a place they could call home. This is not a place, listen, this is not a facility where where we have couches and chairs and whatnot. Like, let me just say this. If you go to my parents' house, okay, I grew up, and they may not like this, so make sure you tell them not to listen to the sermon. But if, uh, if it, where I grew up, it was like a museum. It was really like a museum. You did not eat in the den, okay? Um, I remember when my parents went out of town in the early 90s, they had redecorated the house. Uh, and what am I going to do? I'm a sophomore in high school, and I thought, they're out of town, brother's gone, nobody's home. What's Todd going to do? What would I do? Do what? Say it again. I would eat in the den, but I didn't want to eat alone, so what would I do? I threw a party. That's right. Can you imagine me as the party animal at your high school? (laughs) It's really not that funny. Uh, (laughs) So I threw a party, and listen, not one crumb was spilled on that carpet. Listen, you could see the vacuuming that I had done in the house. It was spick and span. It was cleaner than Mama left it. So mama comes back home on Sunday evening, and guess what? All of us were in church on Sunday morning. We were at church Sunday night. She comes home Sunday evening, and she goes, how was your weekend? Oh, it's great. It's great. Wow, this house is clean. I said, yeah, you know, I just want to make sure that uh, it was, you know, it was in order like, like you left it. And she says, were you hungry this weekend? And I said, oh, not more than normal. 
And she said, well, I just want to let you know there's 13 pizza boxes in the trash can outside. <laughs> but I grew up in a home where you don't put your feet on the couch. I grew up in the home, and still, my parents' home in Charlotte now, when, you, when I walk in, the first thing I do is take off my shoes. Now, listen, some of you do that, and that's okay. And see, I know when I go, the expectation of what's expected of me when I go. Now, you go to my parents' house, they'll never say a word to you. They'll never say a word to you. But I know the expectation. I know what they value. I know what they want to instill in me continually. And here's the thing. When we got married, one of the things that we talked about is, look, I never want to own anything unless we're going to use it. I want people to feel like they can crawl up on my couch Whatever they want to do, I want to have a home that we live in. And so that has transcended even into my idea of the church. I don't want a church where everything's just pretty for pretty's sake. I want it to be beautiful for the purposes of God. And I want to make sure that anybody, whether they're filthy rich or dirt is poor, poor is dirt, whatever it might be, I want them to feel like they have a viable place in worship, that they can experience Christ. And so for us to do anything without the idea of winning people to Christ, it would be a complete, complete waste of our total stewardship. We have to be willing to change. We have to be willing to step out. And I am so, so, so proud because here's what I see. As a pastor of the church, as I look at about where we're going, no one's forcing you to go into prison. I haven't gone to any of you and asked you to serve in prison ministry. I've not even had that conversation. But the idea has been put out, and you have responded. You're willing to leave the comforts of who you are, where you are, and go into a place that you don't know to do his work. And the endless possibilities that are on the horizon, all for the sake of winning people to Christ. That's what a win is. A win for the church is always reaching people for Christ. Doing whatever, whatever, whatever in order to reach them without compromising on the basic tenets of our faith. Our purpose is always to win. But in order to win, we have to have another purpose. And that is that our purpose is to train. If you look in verse 25 of the passage. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. Okay? I enjoyed watching some of the, the highlights the other day, uh, uh, kind of the backlog of, of the Olympics, and watching Michael Phelps win. And I was sitting there and I, I, I thought, gosh, you know, I wish I could go in the pool. Gosh, I would like to race against Michael Phelps. It wouldn't even be a race. You're even laughing about it. For me to get in the pool an attempt to go against Michael Phelps or even the person that came in last place, even the hundreds who didn't even make the Olympics that trained, I would be a joke because I've not dedicated myself or committed myself to train for such an event. Yet when it comes, and we would say, you'd be ludicrous, Todd, to do that. You haven't trained. You would never qualify. You would never, ever be able to win. And it's not so much that my outlook determines my outcome. It's reality versus reality. It's not going to happen. Why do we think it's different 
spiritually for the church? Why do we think it's spiritually different for us? I mean, do we honestly think that we can do what we want, say what we want, live how we want, and then ultimately be spiritually okay? Do we honestly believe we're fooling ourselves if we think we, we, we can do this? We have to go into strict training. Guess what training is? It's discipleship. It's growing in your relationship with Christ. And as I've said time and time again, if you're the same today as the day that you accepted Christ, shame, shame, shame. Because you and I should be constantly changing and evolving into the person that Christ has intended us to become. That we might be prepared for such a day when we are going to be called to compete in a race, when we are going to have to give it our all, when we're going to have to show up and we're going to have to let God show up in an amazing way so that when we compete, we compete to win. And a win is always, always about gaining the prize. The prize of righteousness, the prize of truth, and the prize of allowing others to know Jesus and making them known. Our purpose is to win because strict training produces an environment of winners. When you and I train, we become more confident spiritually. And it's not a confidence that uh, is arrogance or pride. It's a confidence that comes out of fellowshipping with God, being in relationship with Him, pursuing Him. Now, and I'll give you an example of this. Here's, here's how I gauge my own uh, growth. Now, there are many ways, too, that I failed in so many ways of growth. But here's an example. Now, many of you knew that are new that I was potentially looking at running for school board. And so I went and got the paperwork. What I did not realize is when I got the paperwork, because it's different in other states, is that uh, they actually take your name and you get put in the paper. Didn't realize that. I was hoping to kind of get feelers or whatnot. And, and my purpose was very clear. My purpose in running for school board is to be an advocate for students and faculty and really to be involved in community. I mean, I'm involved in community now. But as I began to pray about it, um, I began to wonder, is this the best way to advance his kingdom? Could this potentially be divisive? When is politics ever divisive? There would have been a day and a time I would have pushed against what I felt and pursued it. And when I set out to accomplish something, I set out to win. I will win. The problem with that is that doesn't always happen in politics. And I realized that a better win, if, if my role as an individual, if my role as a pastor, if my role as a part of First Baptist Church, if a win is to advance the gospel and to bring people into the saving knowledge of Christ, then I don't want in this time to do anything that takes away from that perspective or anything that has the potential to draw people away. And guess what? You shouldn't either. And so I just didn't file the rest of my paperwork. I will not be on the ballot in November. Some of you are thinking, thank God. Others of you are not happy that I didn't go through it. But I'm going to tell you, I don't regret the decision because ultimately my role Ultimately, our purpose in this time, in this moment, is to advance his kingdom, 
to make it known. And I want everybody in the city of Elizabethan to feel like when they come to First Baptist Church, they can call this place home. What it means when you and I are focused on the win is sometimes you will sacrifice what you want for the sake of other people. Or you will sacrifice what you want for the sake of the calling that goes before you. Being able to discern between what you should and shouldn't do in your job, being able to discern what you should and should not do in your life is dependent upon you training for the task at hand. Our purpose is to train. Because when we run, if you look in verse 26, not just to train, but we run with a strategic purpose. When we run with a strategic purpose to get the prize it will be to be victorious. That is our aim. And he says, do not run aimlessly towards a goal. Be strategic. Be specific. And so as a church, as we do what we need to be doing, as we pray up and show up in amazing ways, strategically, we need to be about reaching people along all walks of life. And you as an individual have to plug in somewhere. You can say, well, I don't really feel called to prison ministry. Good. Great. I don't really feel called to go around the world. Good. Great. What are you called to do? How are you answering that call? How are you pursuing Jesus? And how are you running in this race as we compete? Listen, in the Olympics, there's a variety, listen, a variety of competitions. You can be a gymnast. You can be a swimmer. You can be a tennis player. You wouldn't want to put a tennis player on the swim team. You wouldn't want to put a swim, uh, swim team member on the tennis team. But every single one in the overall represents the common goal of the United States. And every single person is aiming for the same thing. Though they might come about it in different ways. They may train differently. But they're all involved with what they're ultimately called to do. The swimmer wants to swim to his best. The, the runner wants to run the best. The tennis player wants to play tennis the best. And though they might train differently, though they might serve in different capacities, they're all on the same team. And that's Team USA. Here in this place, we're on God's team. And it doesn't matter whether God has made you through the work of the Holy Spirit passionately pursuing the lost around the world whether he wants to make you passionately pursuing them in the Carter County Jail, whether he wants to make you passionately pursue them in Rome Mountain, or wherever he might take you, but wherever he leads you, you and I need to follow. We need to be, uh, we need to be strategic, and we don't need to aimlessly search him. In other words, our focus in spirituality is not a shotgun approach. It's a sniper's aim, strategic strategic and we as a corporate body must be strategic in what we do no matter what we do we don't run aimlessly we run with the prize in mind and the prize is to see people come to the saving knowledge of Christ so that leads us to a conclusion 
what are we willing to do to reach people with the gospel? I posed this question about 10 years ago to a church, and we were struggling at the time. Uh, how many of you ever remember the, you remember the worship wars that we had in churches? That is contemporary versus traditional. You, you remember those? You want to forget about that, don't you? Yeah, I do too. I would have people literally, ladies and gentlemen, count the songs on both sides. So, well, we had three traditional songs, we had two contemporary and the next week we had four contemporary songs and it was a 7-11 song. Seven words spoken 11 times over and over and over again. <laughs> See, when I was growing up, 7-11 was a convenience store, but anyway. And you couldn't please anybody. And so, as leading a church in that time, we had two services. We had a traditional service and we had a contemporary service. And I would tell you that at that time, I was not the pastor of the church. I was the worship leader. <laughs> we had two churches. We had two churches. We had a traditional church. We had a contemporary church. And they didn't like to get together. In fact, I had people that were traditionalists that would attend the contemporary service in the morning so that they could go to a football game in the afternoon. It was a matter of convenience. It wasn't a matter of calling. It wasn't a matter of the way they were geared. It was a matter of preference preference of time, schedule. God forbid that we ever go that route again. Because the ultimate cost of that is a church's livelihood. But when we looked at that and I looked at those, those things and the difficulty that was going on and realized that we had two churches, we have to mend those bridges, we have to serve under the same purpose. And here's what I, here's what I realized. that And if you listen to the radio, let me just be blunt about this too. There are some contemporary songs that are on the radio that should never be a part of corporate worship. Ever. Why? Because some of them, if you take the name of Jesus out of them and you put your wife or your spouse, it sounds tremendously sexual. It's just ridiculous. There are songs like that. There are also some songs traditionally, though they may be in the hymn book, I abhor them. I abhor them. They are theologically in Correct, and I've given this illustration before, but one of your favorites, so sorry, and we sing this every once in a while, Grace Greater Than Our Sin. I do not like that song. Don't like it. Just do not like it. Because if you look, you should turn in the hymn book. If you turn in the hymn book, give me a hymn book. Everybody turn in a hymn book. You got a hymn book? Somebody give me a hymn book. You can tell I didn't plan to do this one. We'll see the repercussions of this. 329, thank you, Katie. <laughs> okay. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord. Praise Jesus. Love it. Grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Hallelujah. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured. Woohoo! There where the blood of the Lamb was spilt. Spilt. Now, why did they do that? Because it rhymes with guilt and it sounds pretty. Sometimes the pretty word and the rhyming word isn't the best word. Spilt. Now, we kind of semi-moved in our house this week. Woohoo! Finally got it here in Elizabethan. And um, I'm trying to teach the kids table manners. They don't understand when you don't, you know, you don't turn things over on the table and spill it. That gets on my nerves. And so... Uh, one of them spilt something on the table. 
And what does that imply if we spill something? It's an accident. I don't think that Jesus dying on the cross was an accident. The goal was in mind from the very beginning so that by his demonstration of love and power and dominion over death and the power of the resurrection that he might save a few, namely us. It was not by accident, it was intentional. I don't care what they write about in the hymn book. That's the reality. And so when you look at worship, you have to make sure that you examine every... Some of you are thinking, I've never considered that before. You should. Be careful what you sing. Be careful what you read. And one of the things that I challenged our church in that time was, no matter what your pedigree is, no matter what your personality is, no matter what you're drawn to, whether contemporary or traditional, can we not be drawn into the very working of worshiping God, wherever it might be? And to those seniors who were resistant to contemporary worship, and here's what the beautiful thing is. It's not really a senior thing. There are people who are seniors who love contemporary worship. There are people that are young that like the traditional. But what I, what I, at this church, it was more uh, senior adults that had a, an issue with the contemporary music. And I said to them, you know, I would go to them and I'd say, you know, you, you, and you, do you have kids? And let me just ask you in this room today, and you don't have to be a senior adult, how many of you have children or grandchildren that are not in church this morning? Let me see your hand. Children or grandchildren not in church this morning? Keep your hands raised, okay? How many of you, keep them raised, how many of you in this church have family members that are not in church this morning? Wow, look around, look around. What would you be willing to do to get them into the life of the church? What would you be willing to do to have them come to Christ. And if they're a Christian and they're what we call backslidden or they're not living out the life that you know that they should or that you believe is consistent with the scripture, what would you and I be willing to do that we might be able to have a voice into their life that the Holy Spirit might be able to move in and heal where there's brokenness and that they would come to the saving knowledge of Christ. And if I got you in a room and I asked you that, you would say this very thing. I'd be willing to do whatever it takes. Because you have experienced Christ and you've experienced His grace. Why is it then, why is it then, ladies and gentlemen, that we would be willing to do whatever it takes, but when it comes to worship music, we might not be willing to budge? Do you see the dichotomy of what we do? Do you see the hypocrisy? Because when you and I have been saved and challenged before Almighty God and when we've been equipped to do good work and when we have been given the ultimate victory through Christ and we know that that's the best thing that we can ever see or sense or experience in this life, we know that's the best gift that we could ever receive, would we want to be a stumbling block to anyone? And the answer to that, especially for our loved ones, family members and friends, it's no. How often has the church been a stumbling block to the purposes of God when the church is supposed to be the vital body of Christ? Let me go a step further. It's not about being Southern Baptist. It's not about being traditional or moderate. 
It's about being right or it's about being wrong. It's about living in touch with the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ, and the work of the Holy Spirit. Or it's about impeding the process. Our ultimate allegiance is not what the Tennessee Baptist Convention thinks. Our ultimate allegiance is not, is not what the National Convention thinks. Our ultimate allegiance is to Christ and Christ alone. And let me say this, as long as I'm leading from this pulpit and leading this flock, I don't care who I offend or what I offend, we are going to fulfill our calling. We are going to be obedient. We're going to reach out. We're going to go after them. Because here's the thing. If we're not committed to go after them, I can assure you that there's a lot of other churches that are not either. We will be held accountable for the people that we do not pursue. We are going to pursue everyone strategically to make sure that we save some, that we get some. Our purpose is to do whatever it takes. Without compromising the gospel, we will do whatever it takes, no matter what it costs, no matter how long we must endure, no matter how or who we must encounter, no matter what obstacles lie ahead. Let me tell you something. When the Israelites were led by God out of the wilderness and they approached the promised land, the walls of Jericho stood in their way. And guess what? The walls came down. We don't serve a God of ifs. We serve a God who is I am, who is present, and who gets things done. There will never be an obstacle too great. There will never be a wall too high. There will never be a person too powerful as long as you and I pursue the main thing and we consider a win, reaching people for Christ. We will always Always be victorious. The question this morning is, are you, you as an individual, singular, are you willing to do whatever it takes? I want that to soak in. Are you willing to do whatever, whatever it takes? Look what Paul says in this passage. Though I am free, he's a believer, okay? Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. In other words, he has the freedom, but he's put himself in bondage in order to reach people. Let's move on. To the Jews, I became like a Jew. Now, let me just go a little avenue here. When he becomes a Jew, there's all kinds of reper- uh, uh, implications to that. He has to, the, 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 he has to follow the dietary codes. That means he can't have a BLT. Okay? There's no bacon on the plate. I love bacon. But if I'm meeting with someone who sees it as a sin to harm an animal, to have bacon, and I'm talking to them about the gospel, it may mean that I need to forego the bacon and simply have a tomato sandwich. 
You think it's ridiculous, practice it and see what impact you have. Personally, as I've said from this pulpit, I think about six weeks in, I don't have a problem with drinking. But I do when you're with someone who views it as wrong because you and I don't want to be a stumbling block to them coming of faith. We have to be mindful of what we do. We have to be mindful of what we say. We have to be mindful of how we act. Why? So that we can win some to the gospel. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became one like not having the law, though I'm not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law. As to win those not having the law. To the weak I became weak. And then in conclusion. I have become all things to all people. So that by all possible means. I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel. That I may share in its blessing. problem with a lot of us today is that we signed up for something that we never realized was going to radically change every aspect of our life. And so some of us are just dumbfounded at the fact that a call to Christianity is not as simple as saying, yes, I'll follow you. Uh, yes, I'll pray a prayer. Yes, I'll be baptized. Listen, as I've said many times, that is the beginning. That's not even getting to first base spiritually. That's like being at home plate and, and walking towards first base, okay? You and I have to understand that in the seriousness of our faith and of our fellowship of Christ, it demands that we change what we consider a win. Because the win is not about us as individuals. And I know that goes against the American concept of individualism. You can be anything, just put your mind to it. Who cares if you get to the top or how many people that you had to step on to get there? God does. I became all things to all people in, in order to win some. What are you doing to win some? Are you willing to do whatever it takes. And my prayer for you this morning as the Holy Spirit moves in this place and moves in your life is that you really evaluate. It's so easy to say, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. It's so much harder to put your life into that, lean into that. Are you willing to do whatever it takes to win some for the sake of the gospel? Whether your employer's for it, whether the person that you respect is for it. Because let me be rest assured this. God is for it. And he wants us to do whatever it takes. Change whatever we need to change. Spend whatever we need to spend. Do whatever we need to do. Do whatever it takes to win people to Christ. Period. So here's what I want you to do in this invitation. 
for those of you who write checks. Okay? You write a check, you get the checkout counter, you got a bill. Write that check out, payable to, you write that name in, you have a little bar over there, you write in the amount, then you write out the figure, and then you sign your name to it and you send it off and it gets endorsed. That money gets taken out of your account. This morning, this invitation, this is what I want you to do for those of you who are check writers. I want you to write the check to Christ. I don't want you to fill in the amount, and I want you to sign your name, whatever it takes, whatever it costs. He may drain your account completely empty, but here's what I want you to know. When you're completely empty and in Him, you will be immeasurably full. That is the invitation to do whatever it takes. Spiritually, it's time to write a check to the Father. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for your word. Father, we pray that as we sit in this place and as we respond in this invitation, that, Lord, that you would help us to do just that. For some of us, we need to really, really begin to, to think about what does it mean to do whatever it takes. It's just that, doing whatever it takes, whatever we're called to do, however we might fill in the gap, the entire win is to reach people for Christ. Help us as we think about our own personal walk. Help us to think about our corporate walk as a family of God here in this place and in this time. May we be faithful to you. May you find us true. And may we hold fast to your word, your grace, and your power, which give us insights for our lives. Help us to write a check today. Help us to be faithful. Help us to be committed to doing whatever it takes. Because, Father, you did whatever it took to reach us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.